Hey Sanjay, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good? Yeah, very well, thank you. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Um, we've known each other for a really long time and it's really, it's, it's a really big opportunity for me to catch up with you, to be honest with you. Um, you know, you, you're, you're the person that gave me my first ever you know, taste of wrestling in the ring as a kid and, and the opportunity to train and, and perform. So I've always been grateful. And, and now that I'm a little bit older, I can look back on those days and, and be a lot more appreciative of it. So first and foremost, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. It's not a problem at all. In those days, I think we're about 12 years. I think it's going to be a good 10, 12 years plus, maybe more. Uh, I don't know when you started training, what year it was, but I think it's a oh, good 10, 12 years anyway. It's been a long time. Yeah. Well, funny story, actually. I, uh, I, have a, I have a funny memory of meeting you way before the training. So, and I'm not, you might remember this, I'm not sure, but I think it was around 2004, 2005, my mum saw an ad, I think in the newspaper, for, for a wrestling show. And it was something like, I can't remember exactly, but it was something like, if you can text the answer to this question, you can win, you know, a, a free ticket to the to the show. So my mum texted the the answer and and ended up getting a getting a ticket, and it was to Southbury Leisure Centre, and it was around two thousand and four, two thousand and five. I I was about twelve years old, and we I think me and my mum my mum took me and we met you at the door and you let us in because that was the, it was like a competition or something, and that's the very first wrestling show I've ever been to in my life um, I, I assume it was FWA I can't even remember properly it must have been FWA yeah. it was at uh, Enfield yeah it would have been FWA for 2004 I think I didn't turn it to LDN there until 2006 or 7 so up 2006 I think so yeah that's a long time ago <laughs> so, yeah. it's crazy that I actually sorry did you enjoy the show I loved it. Yeah, it was great. Um, it, it was a pro it was the first time, so that left a lasting impression on me. And uh, I, I actually never connected the dots because obviously a couple of years later when I was a teenager and stuff, I started training and it never occurred to me. I never put the two together. And it was only after like looking back, I was like, hang on a minute. Yeah, there's something, it, it, it's connected because you were promoting the show. But I, I was too young to understand what was going on. Yeah, it's a different era as well before then. I remember back then it was before the iPad generation where kids knew everything and everything. So, it, yeah, you know, still it's so true, man. Yeah, just the kids now know more than we do, don't they? They've sit there on, they're playing all the on the websites and going on whatever <laughs> website, what Wikipedia, whatever it is, and so the kids know everything. But yeah, it's a different generation then. So uh, I vaguely remember a competition years ago. I think it might have been the second ever Southbury Leisure Centre show, but I can't remember who was on it. It's just so long ago, you know, I mean, it's, I've run probably two and a half, three thousand shows since then, so it's a long time. But I think it was in the newspaper because I think, because I, I remember my mum, like, she almost cut it out and it was like a, a, a small ad, like a, a square box on one of the pages. I can't remember exactly, but I think it was something like that. Yeah, we used to advertise in the Enfield Gazette. We also used to advertise in the North London papers. And I think you were busy mm. or something like that or somewhere around then. So I think you would have yeah. made sense anyway. So it's a long time ago. Bizarre. And then a couple of years later, you turn up at training, eh? 
Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's crazy, isn't it? No, I first turned up to training in 2006, I want to say, but it was very on and off. Once again, it was one of those things where I, I was too young to really comprehend what was going on. And then it, I, I remember Paul Ash and Tex Benedict. I went to a couple of their classes and then I, I started going full time, I'd say, in late 2008, early 2009 when, when Justin Richards was there. So, yeah, it was there was a big change in the training. Um, and I think you got the better half with Justin and uh, Tex was a great trainer as well. But I think you got a better deal coming weekly I think, with, with Justin Richard, I think. So I think you probably learned a lot more as well. But I must say that Tex Benedict, I thought, was a great trainer. Um, it's just a shame that he was only a week on, week off sort of thing because of his uh, normal life schedule and his work. So I think you definitely, mm. hopefully you learned a lot from three anyway. Massively. I remember the first class when we turned up to Edmonton and after one of those warm-ups, uh, Mark turned to me and was like, look, why don't we just grab our bags and just say that we're going to the toilet and run away? Like, it was that bad. I, I was, I had tears in my eyes. I couldn't you handle it for the life of me. Many, many people did that. Many people said they're just going to the toilet or they had to take a important phone call. And I always knew when they were going to do that. And I'd let them walk off because you can't stop someone. You know, if they want to go, they go. Uh, I'd walk up to the reception bit and I'd see them through the door running out and I'd just be laughing to myself thinking, that's another one, Justin, that's not going to be coming back next week. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, stay on. So, I mean, going, going all the way back, I, I know you've spoke about this before, you know, in another podcast, but just very quickly, like, so how did you get into wrestling? What were your, where did it all begin for you? And then what led to you thinking, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, give my hand at promoting? Uh, what it was, I was a, I was a wrestling fan growing up. My mum and dad used to watch wrestling. They used to watch World of Sport. In 1989, they got Sky when it first came out. So we were introduced to the WWF, or WWE as it's now called. Uh, so I got hooked on that. And then my dad said to me, would you like to go to a wrestling show? I said, well, what? He would say no. I thought, wow, this would be great. So I went on the day. We got tickets from the counts, as you, as, as you do uh, back then. Uh, we sat in the back row at Wembley Stadium and watched my first ever show. And that was British, British Bulldog against Bret Hart. And since then, I've been hooked on wrestling. We used to watch it on um, Sky Sports, but you also used to watch it on G uh, GSF or something like that, one of the German channels. We'd be able to watch WCW and the pay-per-views that weren't always airing on Sky. So uh, I had a big history. And I, I think it's really thanks to my parents uh, that I was able to get into wrestling and watch it with them. And it was a nice sort of post-bonding between ourselves uh, that lasted, I think, throughout the test to... to you know, to, to now really. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really nice when, when you get that kind of support and they, they encourage you to kind of do it. I know that, um, as I said, like my mum taking me to that show was probably the, the turning point, you know, it's when it, it just, it sticks in your head and that's what kind of influences you to think, you know what, I'm, I want I want to try it, you know, or, or be involved one way or another, you know, how did, um, so what, what did your parents say when you, when you said that you wanted to start promoting shows? Uh, I thought they'd be horrified at first, to be honest, because uh, they may have thought I'd be going in the family business or I might be sticking at university. So I went to university for about 12 weeks and quit, be a full-time promoter. I'd just run a couple of shows before then. But uh, yeah, I think they'd be horrified at first, uh, but they've kind of learned to accept it. And then they became quite big supporters and stuff. But it's, it's, it's you know, it's a lifestyle change on, you know, my, my dad was a goldsmith, my granddad was a goldsmith, my brother's a goldsmith. So everybody in my family generation's always done the family trade. 
So I was the first person to break away and do something a bit different. But thankfully, because it was wrestling and my dad liked it, he supported me and was more than happy to come to the shows, help out, you know, and sell merchandise, you know, and be part of it because I think he quite enjoyed watching the shows himself. Yeah, absolutely. It's always nice to kind of do what you're, you know, what they're fans of because it makes them accept it yeah, slightly more, you know. And, it, you know, in that sense, it's also cool because you broke away from, and from the mold, you know, you were like, I'm going to try something different. And, and it's almost in a way, it's because a lot of people kind of have fears when they start businesses. I've got a lot of friends when they start a business, they're, they're, they're scared shitless before they've even started. But it's quite cool kind of seeing your story and you being like, you know what, I'm going to try it. Like, and you, you did, you went full steam ahead, which is pretty cool. So I, I guess when they saw it going well, they probably thought, you know what, like let him do it. Like he, he's succeeding at it. Absolutely. I think it's all based on gut instinct. Some people can sit there and judge a business where they're going to run it by facts and figures. That's not me. I'm a little bit more maybe traditional in that sense that everything I do, whether it's right or wrong, is gut instinct and if I think it's going to work I'll do it and if it doesn't work sometimes you run an event you think this town would be great and it doesn't always work but it's some gut instinct I rather fail on what I think is right rather than reading hundreds of figures and you know judging by other things so I think I've been successful uh, but on my own sort of merit on the sense that I've done it because I thought it would be right rather than listen to others and I think that's an important part of taking a risk with business because a lot of people are too scared I think, I think you're right I think they don't want to take the first step because they're afraid to fail. And I don't think there's anything wrong in failing as long as eventually you have a success. Absolutely, man. I think I completely agree with what you say about taking the risk. You know, um, you just got to jump in and and there's no harm in failing, right? You know, that's, it's, I guess that's one of the things from, from my side because, you know, I, I was a fan of wrestling and I was a fan of what you did. I was also a student of what you did, but I never understood what goes into being, being a promoter. And I think a lot of people don't realize how hard it is. It's not easy. You don't just, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to turn up at a venue and everything's going to be there ready made. They don't realize it, the promoter's doing everything. They're trying to book the venue. They're trying to get the wrestlers. You, you're looking after a ring. You have a van. I never, I guess I was a bit too young as well at the time, but I really didn't realize what went into it, if that makes sense. There's so much that goes into it. From your point, like, what was it like when you were first kind of promoting and then developed and then became, I guess, like a seasoned expert at what you do? What were the risks and what were some of the rewards as well? I think when I first started, I was quite clever that I worked with a company, so I bought shows off the FWA. So there was a lot less hassle, a lot less stress on me because I was learning my craft of marketing before I took over and ran my own shows and started dealing with wrestlers and rings. So when I bought a show... It was a lot better, I think, because I got a ring, I got a show supplied, I didn't have to worry about that. So I was clever enough in the fact I wanted to learn how to put on a show in terms of how do you get punters into seats, which is the hardest thing, is getting fans to show up and purchase seats, purchase tickets. Mm -hmm. So that was the thing that I learned, the, the, the first thing. And then I started to run off. So I think it's I think you don't want to jump straight into it. You want to sort of maybe, well, I think maybe my approach worked for me, maybe it won't work for others, but I think I took the right steps because... I, uh, I purchased shows and I learned what I was doing. And it's a lot of work, you know what I mean? And the shows don't end or start when you show up to the building. It's the three, four weeks leading into it or three, four months, you know what I mean? But now I obviously run a lot of shows, nearly 200 shows a year. So you spend less time, but because I've got the infrastructure now with the team, 
that I work with, I use Envoy rather. Putting on a show is so easy now, but it, it, it's, it wasn't always that way. You know, I mean, it's taken 17 years to get to where I am. Absolutely. I mean, that's so cool to hear that you're doing that many shows. It just goes to show how much it's grown, you know, from from the early days, especially from 2006, you know, give or take, uh, to see what it's come to today. I, I heard you say uh, in a recent podcast that you, you've done about 180 shows, which is awesome. You know, I, I mean, I don't know anyone else that does that, to be honest. So, yeah, you know, uh, in the UK. I, I, uh, I worked out, we did a little thing, we had a little look around see what people do. The, the most amount of shows in the world is WWE. Then it's one of the Japanese companies, I believe it's New Japan. And then the third biggest touring show in the world is LDN Wrestling. But, you know, people don't think, wow, 182 shows a year. And they're not holiday camp shows, they're town shows, up and down buildings around the UK and Europe. And I've obviously run in America as well, uh, in New York. So it's people don't realize that's an interesting thing that we are the third biggest tourist biggest tourist uh, touring running show in the country in the world sorry, rather. that's incredible man um i get how has it changed from back in the day to now uh in terms of promoting because i guess back in the day and and like i mentioned it was kind of like you know a lot of flyering and flyering is always kind of, you know a, a solid way and then there were kind of smaller things like the newspapers and things like that is there anything that you do differently today that maybe you didn't do back then social media's obviously come about in the last sort of eight years or so so that's changed things dramatically i think also we've also built up a fan base like i've been running clacton for example for eight to ten years so the same people come every time plus a couple of new people and then i build up a new audience so i've got my regular audiences margate seven eight hundred people are showing up every couple of months to watch these shows and some of them have been going for a long time so i think in the last 10 years social media has helped but building up that audience that comes back every time we're in town obviously has helped and word of mouth i think has been tremendous for shows like this yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, it's funny because back in the day, it wasn't, it, I guess social media had no kind of relevance like it does now. But you you had obviously the TV show with the wrestling channel. And I feel, I, I remember watching that as a kid and I loved the intro. It was such a classic intro for Capitals TV where, you know, it's like it pauses and it's kind of got all the characters and, you know, I thought it was really cool. But that in, in, its, in its own way was ahead of the game because that's what, a lot of people do now, but online, like with web, web shows and things like that. Absolutely. When I started the TV show, I was given literally about, I think a couple of weeks notice, about maybe seven, eight weeks notice or something like that to put on a TV show. And I was 21, 20. So I had no experience. And I'd asked a guy that used to be involved in the FWA doing the music, would he be interested in making the show? Or if he knew anybody? And he said, I can make it, but I've never done it before. And he produced all the songs, the graphics, the logo, the belt design, his name's Ralph, uh, known as Rusty Music, one of the most talented people I've ever met. And he did all that, literally edited it all up in a, in a room in his house. And, you know, considering we had no experience, I thought we pulled it off. And it has, in a way, like, I think it was ahead of its time for British wrestling. But obviously, it's, it's, it's a different thing now. But uh, I, I just think what he did then can still be reproduced now, just obviously in a modern, modern, modern way. And... A lot of those old episodes of LDN Capital TV are going back on YouTube. Or they're going on YouTube in the next couple of days because uh, I think there's a lot of demand from some of my older fans wanting to see the old episodes and how things were many, many years ago.
Yeah, definitely. And it's good content, you know, it is actually good content and you had legitimate shows. So I think there's no better time than now to kind of put it online. And, and as you said, the fans, you know, it, it kind of gives them something to see in the meantime while we're at home. Yeah, so it kind of works perfectly in a way. Not much else to do right now. So, but also with the, the TV show, some of the things that we did that I'm really proud of that the old legends from the old British wrestling era, like Johnny Saint came out of retirement on our show. And that was part of the wrestling channel. Now he's the WWE UK commissioner, one of the coaches, or has been one of the coaches there. We had Kendo Nagasaki, one of the big names of the old era, come out of retirement, wrestle, and was on the show. But I was also pleased, it's nice to be the legends out, but some of the wrestlers that just started out who were training with, with you then, like Ang Lee, Travis, and others, are now touring the country and, you know, and making their own, have made their own names in the last 10 years who started out on that TV show. And they're still going strong. So that's, that's a, I think, another achievement, I think, with the TV era. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I was, uh, when I was speaking to Alan uh, last week, I was just thinking to myself, like, man, he's been there for so long. He's so consistent. And it's just incredible. Like, he is the kind of guy you would want as an ambassador because he, he, he's consistent. He's, he was there when I was training as a kid. And I guess he was training at that time as well. But now fast forward 10 years, you know, he, he's won the title. He carries the show in a lot of ways. He said something that really, really uh, hit me. And it was, I, I can't remember what the picture was, but the caption read, um, we're out here to put smiles on kids' faces. And I thought that's so true. Absolutely. And he's the big good guy of the show. And, you know, he's wrestled all over Europe as well. People don't realize this. And uh, he's done, I think he built a nice little name for himself in British wrestling. Uh, he was given, I don't know whether you're aware of this or not, uh, he was given Wrestler of the Year Award about a year or so ago, maybe two years wow. ago, by the British Wrestlers Reunion. Um, and he was presented the award by Johnny Kidd, who's a very well-respected name within the horror industry. Uh, so yeah. He's definitely made his name. And if you go to people within the business, they know of Alan, you know what I mean? And, and if you go to Clacton and people go to the shows, and as soon as Alan's song hits, they know who he is. He's got his own custom song, and they've seen him there. God knows how many times for the last 10 years. So he's definitely built up his own audience. And he's done very well at wrestling. You know, he's, he's wrestled so many different countries over the last year or two. Uh, and I've just sorted out his bookings for the next couple of months if they obviously things with this, with this virus go down. And he's got another three or four European countries he'll be debuting in, uh, which is quite good for him. Yeah, and that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, man. It's all about putting smiles on kids. It's literally, they're, they're paying money to turn up to a show. Their parents are, are, are taking them. You know, it's a family show. And when you have somebody like that who actually cares about putting, you know, entertaining them, uh, I think it's a win-win situation because it, it, it's, I mean, it's one thing going in there for yourself and it's another thing going in there for, for the crowd. Do you know what I mean? Like you can really sense it when somebody actually cares about putting on a good show. So hats off to Alan. I have, I have massive respect for him and um, it's great to hear what he's done in, this, in all this time. You know, for, I guess I first met him in 2007, maybe. So that's about 13 years ago. Yeah, it's a long time ago. So uh, things have changed, haven't they? Sort of thing. He obviously looks different. So do you. We're all aged a little bit and stuff, but uh, <laughs> well, anyway. So yeah. What's uh, speaking of promoting? What's some of the more interesting things that you've done? Like, what what can you think off the top of your head? Like a something that you wouldn't normally do, but you thought, you know what? Let me try this to promote the show. Uh, well, like radio or anything like that. 
Yeah, we've done radio. I think the Wrestling Channel advert worked really well with the training school because there's that one stage we had 50, 60 students. Uh, wow. I don't know whether you remember, I don't know whether you were there or not, the era, but we had 50, 60 people coming each week, you know what I mean, sort of thing. So we did a really cool advert for the training school. Um, I think that was really good because I think the Wrestling Channel definitely added numbers. Other cool things we've done, I think just being, I think the best thing that I think we've done with LDN is be British and promote ourselves as proud to be British find the flag for the UK, you know, and putting on traditional wrestling, along with Americanized wrestling. I think that's been the main thing in, in terms of being a bit different, in terms of, you know, being a bit different to the audience, people noticing, because you see hundreds of wrestling shows around the country, but a lot of them put American-style wrestling. We always put our logo is British and proud, you know what I mean? And it's got the UK flag on it and whatnot. So I think that's just been different. It's just been good for the audiences to know there is a, a British product out there for British people. Yeah, absolutely. And the uh, the matches that you used to do back in the day, I know for a period of time you had rounds, which is old school, you know, that's that's the, the world of sports style, isn't it? We still do occasionally, not as much as before, if we're honest, but we still do put on rounds matches uh, with some of the, the more traditional wrestlers. It's a nice novelty and it works really well in certain towns, so it's, it's, it's still used to this day. So how did the LDN name come about? Because uh, obviously you mentioned, you know, you started promoting and and it is it's the perfect name because it, it's kind of you know the capital london and, and that's what it represents it represents the country what what made you think you know what this is this this sticks uh it was a by, by chance what it was i was thinking names i've just left the fwi as a promoter so I'm not, good luck guys but i'm going to be doing my own thing so i'm thinking of names uh, my brother's over in the house uh, i'm doing his head in so i'm coming up with all these silly names what should i call it what should i call it and he said, I've had enough. I can't listen to this anymore. And I was like, okay, sorry. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> BBC uh, News was on. They're London. They're at 6.30, changes to the regional news. So I went to BBC LDN News. I said, there you go, LDN Wrestling, the capital of British wrestling. I said, that sounds great. And he's like, now you have to shut up and leave me alone. <laughs> I was like, I thought about it. And you know what? I spoke to a few people. I thought, this is brilliant. Because at the time, we're only going to be a London promotion. We well, It wasn't going to be... It was a bit of a trial run, to be honest, more than anything at that time. So I thought, perfect. And then as things went on and we got on, on TV, they said to me, what's the name of the show? And I said, I'm going to stick with LDN. They said, they agreed. And they said, it would be great to call it the capital of British wrestling, LDN Capital TV. So you're, you are the British product. Um, everybody knows of London. You can go to China, you can go to Japan, anywhere. Africa, you ask them of the UK, and they all say London. So... Uh, it's, it's the most iconic city in the world, I think. It's so true, man. It's so true. And, and I mean, would you have ever thought back then you were calling it, you know, LDN London, yet today you're touring the country, going places like Isle of Wight, uh, Northern Ireland, uh, even international. Isn't that crazy when you think about it? Would you have ever thought that back then? No, you I thought someday I'm going to be doing that. I thought it would be a London promotion, to be honest. I thought I was quite happy with running Enfield in a handwell. But uh, things change, which is why we don't call it London Wrestling as much now. We call it LDN Wrestling. We sort of cut the, uh, the name of the town out. People know it's London. It's still the capital of British wrestling. But we just tour it as LDN Wrestling. Um, especially when you go to Ireland, you've got to be a bit careful because there's still some towns that don't like the British. So, uh, yeah, we call it just LDN Wrestling. It's, it's, it's a little bit more simpler. But it still is, you know, in most places, if you look at the banners around the ring, it says, you know, British and proud. It's still got that unique Britishness about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the I think one of the things is, 
it's become like a household name, if that makes sense. Like I don't I don't sit there thinking, oh, London wrestling. For me, it's just LDN. Like I don't really question it anymore. You know, it's just it's something that over time has just become what it is. It's LDN. You know, so I think that's what the fans think. I think you're right. I think it's just LDN wrestling and. And this day and age, people don't think about it. And uh, occasionally, somebody will come up to me and says, uh, what does LDN stand for? And I'll give them some ridiculous initials and pretend it's the owner's name. Um, <laughs> I mean, but generally speaking, most people just think LDN, that's the name of the show, you know what I mean? And it works. Yeah. You mentioned earlier um, the guy the, the, the guy helped you with, obviously, the, the intro and everything. And did, did you mention he helped you with the belt design as well? Yeah, I said to him, I want a belt. I want a unique belt design, different to everybody else. Because what people used to do, and we all guilty of this on their one stage, is that they'd get a title. They'll get a WCW title or an old WWF belt, and they put a sticker on it. I thought, oh, it looks so cheap. It's terrible. Mm. Um, you know, and we're all guilty of it at one stage but I said no we're on TV now we need a proper belt so he designed the belt and it's a very unique belt it's got uh, queen, country and religion represented in it and if you look into it the, the plates on it represent what's on the back of our coins so one of them represents the queen the country and the religion and it's a very unique belt uh, I've had loads of compliments for the belt over the years and stuff and uh, you've obviously seen it up close I think so it's, it's it's certainly unique. There's no other belt quite like it. Yeah, it's completely original. I remember seeing it as a kid, just being like, whoa. Like, obviously, I didn't know what went into it. I didn't know who made it and, and stuff. But when you see something like that, and, and you know, it's a smart idea from a business standpoint to not rehash like a, a, an American title, like you said, with a WCW or, or WWF or whatever. It, it's, it's, from, it's a smart idea from a branding perspective to have something completely original because then it becomes a trademark. So people know LD you know through the belt like when you see the belt you know this is original and it's unique and, and it's, it's become a trademark for everyone i think for me it's stuck in my head whenever i see that belt and at the same time it looks cool so that i think that helps as well <laughs> yeah and also a lot of the time if people are doing that i found it so tacky when i used to go around wrestling shows and other promotions would use boxing belts and the, the, the mm. like two millimeters or three millimeters you know thin and It'd be embarrassing. I just thought you've got. If you're on television, you're touring the show now. You have to have a proper belt, and that belt cost me a lot of money. So it cost me several thousand, but it was worth it because it's still used today. Uh, between us and I guess the people listening, I've had this is the second version of the belt. Uh, I think about two or three years ago, I uh, bought a brand new belt and retired. Wow! Uh, but I gave the belt to John Ritchie uh, to keep. Uh, we did a charity show because one of our wrestlers, well, his manager at the time, died. Uh, so I presented the belt to John Ritchie as a special thank you present for all his hard work he did for the wrestling. And I believe the belt's uh, on his mantelpiece at home, the original Eldian title. Wow, that's awesome. I never knew that. What year was that then? Uh, that was only a few years ago. I think PJ, uh, I don't know whether you remember, his, his manager used to be a guy called Paul Jerome. Um, mm. And he died uh, about two years ago. I think it was 2018 in December. We did a, an event for Epilepsy Research UK, which is, uh, unfortunately, died of epilepsy, uh, PJ, and go for him, and I presented the belt in the ring to him. So, yeah, just about two years ago. That's really cool, man. Uh, obviously, the, the belt idea and the charity show, um, you know, that that's it's a, I guess, 
it's a really positive thing you did there, you know, and, and the title itself has been around, I think, I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the, the belt itself has been around since 2007, 2008, hasn't it? That's right, yeah. I think it came out in 2008, so the belt itself, the championship is 12 years old, so it's, it's, it's had a lot of use as well in that time, up and down the country, defended in from one venue to another, so, uh, yeah, it had a bit of wear and tear, so I wanted to get a new one, uh, and I'm getting a new one made again. Uh, in the next uh, once we come out of lockdown I'll probably in the next six months have a brand new title uh, made as well well you know what you've got 10 years of use out of that belt and that's to have ten years of good use is, is, is quite a f- uh, incredible I've got, got my money's worth anyway I think so yeah <laughs> so what led to the the idea of training because I, I guess for me as, as a fan that's where it all kind of came full circle that's where I really started to I guess that's where I met you properly and, and kind of really got involved what what led you to to kind of come in with the idea of, of training and how did you find a, a venue for it um, Project Future were uh, some wrestlers of mine at the time and they've been involved wrestling a little bit before me and they're saying that for you to get your own wrestlers and the future, you can't obviously rely on bringing wrestlers from outside if you're going to run loads of shows. You need to have your own future base, uh, which made a lot of sense. Uh, so there used to be a company prior to us called uh, Rev, uh, British Revolution Wrestling. They're no longer in business. And they used to run a training school in Enfield, but they've, had, they've gone out of business. So I went to the Martial Arts Centre in Enfield, and that's where the first ever LDN training school took place. And we were there... It's just mats, no wrestling ring. Uh, we were there for about two or three years before we moved to Edmonton. Uh, and the idea behind it was to produce the next stars of Elgin Wrestling so that we could continue. Because I think that's very important to have your next generation coming through. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, the, the next generation did come through because you had, obviously, Alan, first and foremost. Uh, I, there, was, there was Hakan, wasn't there? Yes, absolutely. He done well. He came uh, through the training, you know, so a, a lot of guys did, didn't they? Yeah, not, the, like, not a lot of them wrestled for me now, but some of them are still going. A guy called Martin, who wrestles as Pastor William Eva. He used to train with us in the Edmonton era. So there's been loads of people over the years that have come through the doors that have gone on and some of them are still wrestling, some of them moved on, some of them had kids or not, married, um, or moved away, as you did. But uh, some of them are still around, which is nice to see. What, what, uh, when did it move over to Edmonton? Because I think that's my first memory, is, is going to, to, the, to the venue in Edmonton. I think 2008-ish, I think. It might be earlier than that, actually. I think we started the training in 2005. And then I think it moved to around about 2007, 2008. So we moved to the Aspire and Fitness Sports Centre, which was part of the school uh, in Enfield, uh, Edmonton to be exact. Uh, So that was the first time we moved there. And it was nice because I wanted to have a ring at training. So I purchased a ring, a 14-foot holiday camp ring. And I thought it'd be nice and be better for the guys to learn in a ring than mats. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was one of the um, one of the best things about your training is there's so many training schools out there that don't even have a ring or they're, they're getting kids to bump in boxing rings and, and things like that. Whereas we were lucky enough to have an actual proper ring, you know. And also, it, I think it taught a lot of the kids uh, a bit of discipline because we had to put up the ring, you know. So it was one of those things where you learn, you know, from start to finish how, how it, you know, how it all goes. And then, and then at the same time, have the, the kind of the privilege of actually having a proper ring to train in. I, I think that's the thing. It was a really old ring as well, so it took a little bit while, a lot, a lot more bolts. So it took a, a good 45 minutes to an hour 
for everyone to pitch in and put it together. And the people who didn't who got lazy, you could see how everybody else would turn on them. So he encouraged people to be a team player before the training even started, which I think was very important. Um, so I think he worked really well. And uh, especially when Justin took over as coach, I think he just became part of, you know, get there, get stuck in and get the ring up. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, if, if you, I know that if, if I didn't, help put, putting up the ring Justin would you know he would make me pay the price I'd, I'd have to it was one of those things where it's, it's a real discipline thing and it's a good learning thing you know for teenagers and kids you know they learn how to uh, as you said it's a team building exercise because we got to work together and and you don't sit on your ass and expect things to appear actually be prepared to put in a bit of work in the on a Sunday morning absolutely and I think it worked it was my mindset as well because when I was young I was never handed money to go run a wrestling show. I saved that money. I worked hard and I ran my first show. So I think a lot of discipline and respect came from that. Um, and that was the idea behind Justin Richards becoming the coach that I wanted a military-esque style of running business and running the training school that people showed respect, you know, said sir, and just, just discipline. There's a lot of people that came to the school that weren't very respectful when they showed up. Through maybe their backgrounds, the way things have gone. But I think those who stuck at it certainly changed their ways and came off the training school better. And even those who quit, I think some of them have messaged Justin over the years, he's been telling me recently, saying that his way of training changed their life, which is nice. It's good, you know, to hear 10, 12 years old. Absolutely, man. Um, he, you know, he, what I learned there turning up every Sunday was just you know, real hard work, like real grit, you know, and being prepared to put in the work. And I still carry that with me today. And it's crazy, you know, but that was what shaped me as a, as a kid in a way. And I'm so fortunate that I had that. I was talking to Mark, obviously my old tag team partner from, from that uh, period. And we were turning up to training every week and we didn't realize what effect it was having on us. And now when I catch up with him, he even agree agrees with me. He's like, man, like what we learned there was so valuable. Sure. Uh, it, it's nuts. Like we, we didn't realize at the time we had no idea, but that, that was probably the best training in the country and we didn't even know it at the time yeah it was just it was different i was like the change between him and paul ash was brilliant was just what we needed um and i just think so many people so many years come back on and you know compliment but it's bizarre when people talk about training schools you hear things they don't sort of mention that era of ldn wrestling where we had justin richards because um prior to that justin had pretty much been out of the business i think for a good I don't know how long it was, maybe a couple of months to maybe a year or so. Um, so I was excited after a long time, I think, or at least a good six, seven months plus, brought Justin back in. And at the time, I think it was a great decision and still do. I think he did a great job with the training. Um, and uh, yeah, I can't complain about him at all. I think he did a great job. Yeah, I remember me and Mark turning up and wanting to like impress him, you know. Uh, Mark was always the more athletic one out of us. And I guess I was, I, I guess my thing was maybe talking a little bit more than I should have. But, but we always wanted to one up. So every week we were like, let's, what can we do to try and stand out or make ourselves look you know, good, so we can get that. You know, uh, I guess acceptance and encouragement, <laughs> which is it's, it's typical of little kids, like wanting to impress, like the you know the boss and things like that. But we were just like, what can we do? You know, what can we? How can we step it up? And there's a lot. I have a lot of favorite memories, man. Looking back, it was a uh, like 
just those killer warm-ups and some of the matches and, and things like that is just so much fun. Um, and, I, I, you know, it's, it's just cool. Like, I guess if we didn't have that, that Justin style, we, we might not have had the same hunger. You know, I remember tr- even up in my game because I, I was scared that uh, Adam Mansfield would beat me up. So I, I was so afraid of that that I, I had to try and, like, improve. So I can't even remember what it was. It was like, it was like forearming someone in the back, but I wasn't making it look good. I wasn't making it look real. And, and I think Adam said something like, if you can't do it right, I'm going to do it to you kind of right, kind of like a warning. And I remember thinking, shit, like I, I, <laughs> I, need, to, I need to get this uh, sorted. And it's just funny. Like it's just so cool looking back on it because that, that stuff you can't put a price tag on, you know? Absolutely. Did you notice also there was a difference in how we all had different roles within it? Justin Richards was strict, but he was the nice guy that you could talk to. And if he had problems outside of training, he would definitely be the guy to go to. And Adam Mansfield was the opposite, probably. You really yeah. couldn't have a conversation with him about person. And then there was me, and, like, I think I had a role that I wasn't the trainer or anything, but, like, certainly, like, if people misbehave and stuff, how many people at the training did you probably see me shouting at? You know, Karim, Avi. Yep. I, uh, I think even you, <laughs> I, think, I think I pretty much told you off on quite a few occasions as well. Um, a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember also, I used to, I just started running show. Oh, I'd run quite a lot then, but I'd get home like, I'd get home from North Wales. I'd do a show on a Saturday or something. I'd get home at 6.30 in the morning once I'd drop everyone off. And then at 10 o'clock, whether they had one hour sleep or two hours sleep, I'd be at the show. I'd be at the training school, sorry. And so sometimes I was a little bit grumpy. Um, and when people were really annoying me and then Justin got annoyed with them and then they'd be punished in training. So, I'd have a smirk and I'd be enjoying it, but there was a, I, I think I was definitely the villain of the school or for many students, probably including you as well, in terms of, I was the guy that sort of told everyone off, especially when they misbehaved. Uh, whereas Justin was, he'd either discipline you or where he'd try to talk to you and see what the issue was, or I certainly wasn't that person and Adam Mansfield definitely wasn't either. No, but I, you know, it's it's funny because, like, as you said, you're 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 traveling on the road, you're trying to run a business, and you got a bunch of kids running around, not paying attention, having fun. I know I didn't pay attention a lot. I was a I was a goofy kid, you know. I'd, I'd just sit there cracking jokes and <laughs> like just you know misbehaving. So. If anything, I think you handled it pretty well. You know, um, people don't realise what goes into running it. You were you were literally running it, and I certainly didn't realise at the time. So it's quite funny because everybody does play their role. I'm surprised you didn't get more mad at us. You know, if if it was me, I would, I'd flip a lid every time. You know, it's it's you, that's what happens when you have these young kids who've got no idea what's going on and which is why going back to obviously what we what we said about Justin being there it was so good to have that combination of you Justin and Adam because it was literally we're hitting all angles you know you, it, you know you got the disciplinarian you got the you, you got the almost parental figure you know you got the person that you know, you got Adam who would just, you know, beat us up, you know, <laughs> so it's, it was nice. I think it was, uh, I think it was appropriate for the time. Uh, and I think it, I think it was needed, you know, we needed that discipline. If, if you, you know, if you're trying to run a training session, you need to give the kids a, a kick up the backside. And, and we, I remember we, we paid for it. I'm, I'm, I certainly paid for it doing lunges and wanting to cry, you know. <laughs> Actually, do you remember there was a bet with it? I don't know whether you was there or not. You might have left. And we did a training show in Edmonton and, 
I did a bit with the school. I think it might be in Chingford. I don't want to use it around for the Chingford shows where we used to run our students' shows. And I said to the school, so listen, if the show draws 100 people, I'll do the training school. I'll do the training session the next day. <laughs> I, don't you I don't think he was around then. But, uh, and you know what? Everybody literally brought more people than they've ever brought. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to have to do this now. So the next day comes in, but I've not been well overnight. I've generally, I don't even want to say this, but I've had diarrhea the whole morning. I was like, oh. So I'm, I'm just about feeling a little bit better. And Justin's like, right, my time now. I was like, so I did the training session. And what they don't know is I could do a little bit of the bumps. And like, I don't really like doing things like that. But uh, I, I cruised through that, but that warm-up, Justin, oh, my God. The amount of excuses, like, I'd have, I had it already sorted that people would phone my mobile at certain points. I'm like, ah. Oh. I've got to take this course for venue. But really, it was my brother on the other end saving me from those bloody... That warm-up was hard. All I'm saying is it was it was brutal. And there was one Sunday where uh, Justin got his, and the students got their revenge on me and made me die, I think, that day. So uh, much respect to all the students that came each week, did the warm-up, did a moan and got on with it. You know what? That's a smart idea with the phone call thing. <laughs> I wish I thought of that, to be honest. Yeah. I can get away with it being the boss, you know what I mean? I was like, I've got, just, Justin knew what I was doing, and him and Adam were pissing themselves laughing. I think I might have been in advance, because I said, I'm sure I said something along the lines of, because me and Adam and Justin would occasionally go for a bike to eat, and I promised, I think, Adam a bike to eat after the show. I'd pay for it if he uh, let me get off that warm-up. So, uh, yeah, I had loads of phone calls. Like, I had about eight phone calls come in, and I just remember crooning the batch getting really like, oh, he's, he's cheating, he's cheating and stuff. And, uh, but yeah, those are the days. Long, many, many years ago. Certainly won't be doing that again. <laughs> That's quite funny, though. I mean, you know what? I'm really... I'm grateful of those warm-ups because it that's oh it it never got easier. It literally never got easier. And I remember the first day when we walked in, Justin shouting at the class saying his exact words were fitness, you either got it or you're going to get it. And I me and Mark turning looking at each other thinking, Oh shit. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> what have we got ourselves into? But uh, I, I actually didn't hear that story about you doing the, the training sessions. So that's quite a funny uh, that's quite a funny uh, moment right there. <laughs> yeah, it was I might have been a few years after I left. Yeah, I can't remember what year it was. It was so long ago. I've had so many years, but I think it I think it might have even been after a, a match Justin Adam did. Now this is a funny, embarrassing story, so um, Justin, uh, Adam's the villain on the show. And one of my students at the time, a guy called Sasha, is published descent. He used to wrestle Wolf Alexander. And I was, and Justin would be their manager for a little while because I got Justin doing the show, he's managing it. Just to see, you know, he was unable to wrestle anymore because of his um, his body and the, the cancers that he's had over the years. It's, it's, it's ruined his body, to be honest, and the wrestling as well. So he became their manager for a little while. And um, they came out and challenged Alan and me to a match. I'm like, I'm not doing a bloody match. You've got to be joking. Uh, and Justin's like, oh, we're doing it, be funny. And so he's not to do anything. Just stand in the corner and Alan do the match. I said, all right. South Free Leisure Center's packed crowd. And Justin picks up a chair and tries to chase me around the ring. That was the only involvement. I, was gonna, I wasn't going to do anything in the ring, really. Uh, <laughs> time, my mum and dad were at the show. And they know wrestling's table, but they got overexcited. So my dad chased Justin around the ring and grabbed the chair off him. <laughs> and Wolf Alexander jumped out the ring, uh, with the, um, and I think he, my mum thought she was going to hit her, obviously wouldn't. Uh, she picked up the ringside uh, water bottle of Adam and threw it at his face and gave him a black eye. And the audience are laughing, laughing their asses off. I'm so mad. 
you can imagine if your mum and dad are getting uh, involved when they're not supposed to be. Uh, the audience are chatting at Bagger's mum and dad. I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> oh, go away. I actually banned them from coming to shows for like a year, I think, or six months or something silly like that. But uh, Justin loved it. He thought it was brilliant. Uh, and he got along with my dad really well. Um, so it was uh, it was nice that uh, they got involved. But yeah, they were banned for a long time. They weren't allowed to come back again. And I was so embarrassed and mortified. And uh, yeah, I was talking to Justin about it the other day. And he was like, he said he's never seen anything like it before. He got basically, he also had my mom open up the water bottle and threw it at Justin. So then the water was all over the floor. So whenever he ran around the ring, it kept falling over. It just became better at Lorenardi. So it's quite funny. That is absolutely amazing. <laughs> what did your parents say afterwards when you when you were like telling them about it? Being I like, like Look, I Mom, Dad, what, what did you do? Why? I know, like, what are you playing? They said they thought this. They they obviously got over excited, but I thought they, their excuse at the time was they thought they'd add to the entertainment, so they decided to put themselves over. I think so. Uh, yeah, it was interesting times, and and eventually they come back to the show, and thankfully they've never done anything like that again. And. Uh, I've stayed away from the ring. I'm, um, I'm the ring announcer now on LDN show, so they'll never see anything like that again anyway. But certainly uh, during my dad's lifetime, I think, he, I think he quite enjoyed coming. Oh, you know what, though? I think, that, I think they did get over in a way because those who were there at the time must have found it so hilarious. And it's something you and Justin can always look back on and laugh about. And, you know, and Sasha and whoever, whoever was there at the time can look back on it and, and just absolutely crack up. Uh, it sounds hilarious. I would have loved to have been there. The, the funniest thing was both of them at the time were ill with cancer. Uh, my dad had just been it. Justin had just been it a couple of months ago. And they both... Oh. Excuse that um, that the other one that yeah, I can't hurt your dad. And my dad was like, I guess I can't beat him up too much because he's he's ill with just been through chemo and stuff. So it was a bit of a rough time, but they're both oh, I don't know. It was just a, a crazy time. I'm never ever going to forget that. You know what I mean? And it's the memory. I think 12, 15 years. I don't know how many years ago it was, but ten years down the road, I still remember like it was yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, I didn't know much about Justin um, and his health. I, I was a bit too young to kind of really, it didn't sink in. Um, but now looking back on it, and, and obviously what you've just mentioned uh, about your parents and Justin, it's, it's you know, it, it makes me happy to see how they're still positive in a situation like that. And I think that's the most important thing. The strongest thing somebody could do is still, you know, be find the positives in you know, going through that. Yeah, and continue on, I think, with the day life, which is hard, but, you know, they both saw at the time continued on. And, you know, I think Justin kept it to himself as well, you know. It wasn't something that he's going to discuss. But, you know, you can see the scar on the neck and... You can see, obviously, something's happened, and you know, but he just kept going with it. So fair play to him, you know what I mean? And much respect to Justin. I still speak to him now and then. Uh, I spoke to him yesterday and a couple of weeks ago as well, and I think I saw him, and then me, him, Adam, and Alan went for dinner in Greenwich, uh, I think last year in December or something like that. So it was nice to catch up uh, and just see how things were going. Yeah, and you know, one of my favorite memories of training was when he got in the ring with a bunch of us. There was a, there was a group of us, I can't remember how many, but he got in the ring and started locking up with us. And I remember thinking, oh, I want to lock up with him so bad. And I was lucky enough to get a couple of things in there. We did, you know, a few sort of, uh, a bit of chain wrestling. And that's honestly one of my fondest memories, just because once again, it's one of those things where I didn't realize how serious it, it, it was or what other people are going through so to see him actually get in the ring as well at that time it's really nice 
And I imagine he was quite achy afterwards because I don't think he's wrestled. I don't think he's wrestled in 10 years. Uh, he's certainly not wrestled. Uh, I don't think he'll probably wrestle again, which is sad, but uh, I don't think he's wrestled before the LDN training school. So that might have been the last time. I don't know what he's done since then, but he's got in the ring and actually did combat, you know, actually getting there and getting physical sort of thing. So it's something, you know, he's going to remember for the rest of his life. And I'm pretty sure afterwards he was a bit achy, but he was fine. Um, and it was nice to see Justin get the bumps because it's normally Adam. Bless Adam. He's been back <laughs> of the ring, one side of the school to another, and uh, he still kept going strong as well, sort of thing. So, yeah, I have massive respect for both of them. Um, you know, the, the, it, I'm so grateful for what they did, and I think it was a perfect uh, team. Like, like I said earlier, that the, having them two and you, it was a, it was the perfect kind of dynamics and leadership that a bunch of kids needed. To be honest, sure. uh, whether the kids realised it or not, I think looking back on it. It was perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Like, they, they might like Justin, but some of the students didn't like my sort of way, but they still got to be my good books in terms of, like, showing up each week, which I thought was a requirement to get on the shows. And I never wanted to put anybody on a show who wasn't ready. You know I mean? I never wanted to ever, ever embarrass the business. It doesn't matter to me if they're going to bring 10 or 20 people to watch them. They have to be show ready to go on. And, you know I mean? Otherwise, just an embarrassment to the school. And, Justin Adam agreed with me with that. So we, I think it worked quite well. You know, we had our roles and we had the same sort of mentality, I think, towards putting on a wrestling show, especially with the students. Absolutely. I know that when me and Mark were doing our, our tag team, we it was one of those things where we really had to train until we were ready. And I don't think, you know, if we'd been on a show any sooner, I don't think we would have been ready. So I think it was the, it was the perfect timing for us, certainly. Uh, we did, we did, Two shows, I believe. One in one, we did one in the where we actually trained in Edmonton, and then we did another one. Uh, it, was it, might have been. it might have been Chief. Yeah, it must have been. The Ryan Hall. Yeah, the Ryan Yes. I remember that. Future, were you? Uh, no, we we faced uh, we faced we faced uh, Jack Martin Jr. and Karim Cody Cox. Cody Cox, yeah, Karim the Batch, yeah. And Jack Martin Jr., he had the powerlifting belt, and he was he was bigger than all of us. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, that would have been Chingford. So, yeah, I definitely remember the event. Yeah, so it's just a long time ago. It's amazing, isn't it, how things have changed. But those matches, like I said, I, I'm pretty sure. What year were those? 2008, 2009? Yeah, like two, late 2009, I think. See, that was a good thing. You had a system that you'd go through. It's not like today's wrestling, which is today's training school, which I don't like, where you train for a couple of weeks and they put you on a show as long as you bring 10, 20 people to it and it up, you know what I mean? And I think that's what's wrong. But with this, we had, a, I think, a great system. You train till Justin thinks you're ready. Then I put you on a show. And then you continue to do those shows till I think you're ready. And then you do a small squash match on a main show. And you work your way up to being on the TV shows. And what bigger thing was it at the time for British wrestling than the ultimate goal was to be on... LDN Capital TV and then obviously from there people can progress to wherever to America wherever but at that time for at least our shows it was a nice system where you do the sh training school shows and you work your way up to doing the TV shows and you know and Ali Travis as we mentioned perfect example somebody worked through the system and now is at the top top of the mountain
Absolutely. And you know what? It, it, it wasn't easy and I wouldn't have had it any other way. I think it was the best system. Like you said, the, the kids got to graduate, you know, and it, and even the training, like we had some times where Justin would make us do, you know, shoot, like we'd do, we'd do almost like amateur wrestling where we're sat back to back and then he blows the whistle and then we need to actually go for real. And I think that was part of the, the graduation process in, it's not just, it's not there. You're not there to just kind of do a couple of flips or whatever and, and, and then be on your first show in two weeks you're there to actually grit and grind and put in the work absolutely and i think it was good that you learned different styles of wrestling as well which helped and which is what we ended up with doing i think this might be way after you left we ended up opening another training school in romford uh which i think was the perfect counterbalance between the two schools um and it was run by i don't know whether you ever met one or but john ritchie which was completely traditional amateur wrestling Matt wrestling based school and what I wanted to do was have the two schools as rivals and like a real life rivalry obviously not between the coaches but between the students and I think it worked really well it was added another layer to the system where people compete against people they don't train with each week but from the same company um, and I think it helped generate the next stars and people coming to the training school just another layer that we added in I think it worked really well yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, when I was I was I was really young at the time, like sixteen. But I met John Ritchie a couple of times, and uh, to be honest, I was I was quite scared. <laughs> I was quite scared of him. Looking, <laughs> I guess. But I will say this: John Ritchie was a cornerstone of LDN wrestling for many years, and I consider him to be probably along with Alan, I guess, from this generation, without doubt. I don't want to just mention now, but John Ritchie, I would say, is still one of the main faces that's helped at that time LDN wrestling become what it is today the way he wrestled, the way he entertained, the training schools. So I, can, I don't think LDN Wrestling would be where it is today without John Ritchie, and I'm ever, ever in debt to him for what he did in helping the business grow. Um, and, yeah, I just think he, I think it was brilliant. You know what I mean? I think it's definitely a cornerstone of the business. Yeah, absolutely. His, his contributions were incredible, you know, uh, that I don't think there was anyone on that level of how much he, he gave to, to the promotion. Uh, I, I think for you, I mean, looking back on all of these years, is there anything you would have done differently? For yeah, better or for worse? yeah, people could say that, you know, it is what it is. I don't think you should look back. I, I, interesting enough, I was talking to someone about this last night. I think you look forward. So, you know, it's nice when I, like, I haven't heard from you from about 10 years or so. Uh, but so I don't look back, you know, I mean, it's nice to hear from people, but I just look forward. So you can look back and think, I could have done this, I could have done that. But at the end of the day, just look forward. What's the next step in business? What's the next thing you've got to do? I think that's just the way forward. At least for me, everyone's got their own styles and ways forward, but I don't, it is what it is, you know what I mean? So I could probably change a hundred things that I did, but you can't do it. So I just don't ever think about it. You know what I mean? That's just not my kind of, my personality is just not like that. It's so true, man. It's so true. I've had a lot of times where I look back and go, oh, well, you know, I wish I stuck with this or I wish I did that. And it's so true what you say. You can't sit there and, and just think about that. You need to look forward. You need to think forward and you need to constantly think what's next. So I, I completely agree with you. And, and it goes back to kind of that's what takes being a good promoter as well, because you're thinking about the upcoming shows. You're thinking about the future. How can you improve? How can you do better? You know? Absolutely, and like I said, the last couple of weeks we've all been stuck inside. I don't know what life's like where you are, but uh, it's just been a bit of an interesting. The whole life sort of changed in the last couple of weeks with this virus um, going around, and we're all sort of pretty much in lockdown, sitting at home in 
occasional walks and whatnot. But uh, so it's just sitting there now. I've got a plan for what I'm going to do next for the business, and I'm looking forward to it in the next couple of weeks to when we can announce it and stuff. And one of the big things that I haven't really made public other than my personal page is that LDN Wrestling is coming to a new territory in Gibraltar. Oh, yeah, it's never had wrestling there before. The first ever wrestling show to ever take place there. Uh, and I've got a fantastic venue. I think it's going to do really well. Um, and I'm looking forward to things like that. You know, this show is going to be taking place in Spain that people don't even know about that I've just been sorting out over the last couple of weeks. So there's a lot of things in terms of you know, I'm looking forward to the future and just getting on with it and getting out this uh, this mad pandemic that we're all sort of stuck in. No, absolutely. I think that's a really that's a really cool thing there. And you know, I'm optimistic. I like to think that things are going to get better real soon, and we're going to be able to move forward and be in a better position than ever before. Um, and that's quite exciting to hear, actually, that you're expanding into Gibraltar. I, I mean, I guess that leads to my final question before I let you go. What What are the plans for the future? I, I know that. You can never predict too far ahead, but where would you like LDN to be in two years or five years even from now? I think continue to be a national show. We do 180 roughly. Obviously, this year's numbers are probably going to be affected now, amount of shows we've missed out on in the last couple of weeks. Um, so I'd like to continue to do 200 to 250, 300 shows a year. I've got another team in place where we've already trialled this in the last couple of six months or so, where I can run two to three shows a night and not um, at one. My referee, Dave, who's second in charge, is at another. Alan runs the third team. So the eventual plan will get to a stage where we can run multiple shows a night all over the country, the UK. We've got shows in Scotland coming up later this year. We're back in Northern Ireland. So I'd like to continue to build on those audiences and new territories. Uh, before this happened, uh, a couple of days before the lockdown was announced and they went mad, I was supposed to be meeting the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. Um, interesting. Wow. I'm things up, but I'll be quick on this. The P uh, we had a show in Peterborough in February. And the MPs, one of his um, aides, uh, emailed me. I thought, this is a prank. So he'd like to come to the show and be a guest if possible. I thought, okay, but I didn't think he was real. And now I've got a friend in the Conservative Party who deals with membership. So I rang him and he had it checked out. Saw legit the guy, the Peterborough MP, Paul Bristow, is a big wrestling fan. He showed up to the show and said, can I do a program? I said, of course you can. And he thanked the fans. He ended up doing an angle. It's on YouTube. We've got tons of publicity of it. And um, I was invited to the Houses of Parliament. Uh, and I went down, they had a, had a picture with him, uh, the MP, uh, had uh, a glass of wine as well at the, uh, the House of Parliament. I was supposed to be meeting the Prime Minister about a week or so, and then uh, later, but then the whole country got locked down. It went, went, went a little bit mad. But, uh, so, yeah, when we come back and things go back normal, I'll be officially meeting the Prime Minister of the country and be the first wrestling representative to do that. So I think it'd be quite cool. Yeah, that is quite cool. You know what? After this, I'm going to watch that uh, that angle. Did you say it's online? It's online, yeah. If you type in Paul Bristow, LDN Wrestling, uh, uh, I'll send you a link to it. But uh, it's, it's online. People can view it. It's on the LDN Facebook page if you scroll down. Uh, and he did a great job, I must say. He's a great MP that really does care about his uh, his areas. You know, it's easy to people get into their political parties and hate the other one. But if you look down to what people have actually done, he's a really good MP and he really does, like, the work he does for his uh, for, for Peterborough is tremendous, and uh, he's been great. He's a big wrestling fan, and he really likes LDN wrestling. And and the fact that he invited myself and my referee to come to the Houses of Parliament, have a cup of tea, and meet some of the other uh, MPs. I just say a few of them: uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg watches wrestling with his son. Which who would have thought? That? No way. 
Yep, he watches. He's the last person I really was chopped to that. And James Cheverly, who used to be the conservative um, chairman, I believe. Uh, he he went to TNA Wrestling in Wembley with his son as well. So, <laughs> well, there's a few others out there that like it as well. That's so cool, man. That's, that's actually really quite nice to see that uh, it, not only has it caught their attention, but they're fans of the product, you know? Yeah, they like wrestling. They like WWE and, and they like LDN wrestling because um, obviously once one MP gets involved, then you can imagine he's sharing it to his other mates. Um, and I met a few lords because we were just walking through the House of Parliament to the bar inside. And uh, so he introduced me to some lords that he knew. And they were like, oh, I've just seen you do this wrestling thing. What's going on? And they thought it was legit and stuff. And I'm just standing there thinking, this is the most surreal thing I've ever been to. So it's a pretty cool moment. I'm very, very uh, thankful to Paul Bristow for inviting me down. And uh, I look forward to when this is all over in the next couple of months or whenever it may be to going back and uh, meeting Boris. I've, I met him in 2007 when he ran for, private, uh, for London Mayor. And it's nice to meet him now as the Prime Minister. Absolutely. That's, uh, I think that's one of the, the next things on the list for you to do. That would be pretty cool to see as well. Absolutely. And uh, there's another person wrestling in politics that likes wrestling. You wouldn't believe it. Um, sorry, uh, the phone's going off. Some wrestling tips are coming on. Nigel Farage, believe it or not, likes wrestling. Really? Yeah, we was at the Princess Theatre in Clacton, one of my big venues that I run. And um, Nigel Farage came up to us and was introduced by the venue manager and he didn't realize wrestling was still popular and now he watched it and he's got a picture with us and the belt with Ali Travis and he went on YouTube and uh, came back to us and he thought he was amazing and it's a great British product so whatever people think of his policies and his political preferences it's just nice to know that there's people out there that you wouldn't think who like wrestling like it like Prince Philip People don't know this. Used to go to wrestling shows. I put a picture up on the LGN page, but Philip and the Queen were big wrestling fans in the old days. So it's, it's our history. We should be proud of it. I think there's a great business out here. There's great British culture out there of wrestling and people not liking wrestling and think it's just a shame that not a lot of people seem to know about it. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't even know that about uh, Prince Philip and, you know, uh, and, and even Nigel Farage as well. I didn't know that. So that, that's really cool. And I think... Um I think, as you say, like with LDM, it's, it's authentic. That's as, as British as it gets, really. And, and, you're, and you're proud of it. And that's, the, that's what it puts out there. So I think for these guys to, to, you know, to see it and be on board, it's just amazing. Like it's, it's, there's a lot of positive synergy there. So I think from a, I think from a fan perspective, even, like that, that's awesome. You could, you, that's really cool to see that they're fans of the product as well. They're just, they're just like me. They're, they're fans. They like, they, they like the product. Yeah, they like wrestling as well. It's just it's great. I just think it's great out there. I think there's a bigger community of people who like wrestling, and sometimes you don't always hear about it because obviously people don't go online and stuff. But it's it's just great. I mean, and we had quite a lot of famous sort of people come through the shows as fans over the years, and it's just been great to welcome them. And it's uh, I just think it's uh, it's a great time. Wrestling is on is on the up right now, obviously, till this happened. Um, and I just hope that whether it's an LDN show or it's any show that you go watch and support British wrestling because it could do with your support. And it's great to keep this great industry that's been going for 100 years now continue on. It's a great British tradition. Certainly. It certainly is, man. Uh, it's, it's onwards and upwards after this is over. I truly believe that. I think it's, we're going to be in a better position than we've ever been. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, and uh, yeah, fingers crossed. Let's hope we get out of this nice and quick. That's all I can say. I mean, I, I just hope it's done nice and quick. And uh, I think we've all 
going a bit mad sitting at home now. <laughs> exactly. But that's a good thing because now the fans are itching to see a show. Uh, the performers are itching to perform. So everyone collectively is all is all just waiting to go full steam ahead. Yeah, I think so. I think we're going to see it. And, uh, you know, I think America probably opened up before us, judging by what's happening and stuff. And who would have thought the president of the United States would be a WWE Hall of Famer? Nobody would ever thought that, but it's it's a weird world that we live in now, isn't it? So true, man. It's so true. Well, Sanjay, thank you so much for for, for talking to me, man. It's it's really good to catch up. It's it's been a it's been a while, uh, and and you know what? It was a good opportunity for me to be able to ask you some questions and get to know you on a on a you know on a on a deeper level that I, I kind sure. of didn't because back then I was so young. It was such a long time ago. So so not only being a fan of your product, but then also being a student of, of your, your company, it's really nice to be able to catch up this many years, you know, uh, fast forward. I, I'm grateful for, you know, the opportunity you gave me. The first time I ever wrestled in a ring was, you know, at, at your in, in your ring, in your promotion. And then the first time I ever performed was for one of your student shows. So looking back, I really appreciate that. And uh, I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity you gave me and for the times that we had back then, you know, it was cool and um you know and it's nice it's nice that now fast forward this many years for you to to take the time and talk to me i'm, I'm also really grateful for that so thank you sanjay thanks for giving me your time and thanks for uh, catching up with me no i appreciate it one last quick thing before i go i'll be very brief uh, i was on justin richards last night about you and i brought up a funny story which made me laugh so i was pulling up my records records looking at you know who came to training what era it was and I found a little note somewhere saying that bloody Jade uh, Lamrod. And I was thinking, what have I written it down for? What am I moaning about? And I had to go into it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I see it. Because um, you took a little break from training and then you came back. I don't know whether you remember or not. Uh, and you matured. And there was like, on the notes, it was like, cheeky little bastard didn't pay his fees. Ran off or something. So <laughs> it just made me laugh. I saw Justin. We both having a laugh about it. But, uh, yeah, things are so different. Yeah, you were 16 and 17 and stuff. But you came back. I remember after that and then you got a lot more serious and I think you did really well so I wish you the best of luck as well uh, and hopefully you'll come back to wrestling you know I know you're in a different country now but it'd be good to see you come back to it one day absolutely and I just want to apologize because I, I kind <laughs> of vaguely remember it but um and I don't even remember if, if I if I still owe you or not but if I do when I'm back in London uh, let's let me take you out you can buy me a Nando's meal that sounds good a Nando's meal so <laughs> Oh, that's, that's a good plan. I like the sound of that. But um, you know what? Another funny uh, memory, which is one of my favourite uh, accomplishments, was uh, we were. I think we were, we were being given awards at the end of the year for for certain achievements. And obviously, I'm not necessarily the. the I, well, I wasn't the best athlete by any means, and I wasn't you know the the best performer. But I think I got an award for having the best personality of the year, or something like that. And I was so proud of it. <laughs> I was so proud of it. I, would, I was telling people at school, and people didn't even know what it was. <laughs> I didn't care. No, I, I remember coming up with those awards. They were a little bit of a fun way just to end the year, and there's a lot of people more serious that are probably better wrestlers and such in the ring, maybe. But I think personality matters, so I think I chose that one uh, many, many years ago, and um, uh, that led to a couple of years later of the Baguette Awards every year, which I turned it into, which would be me basically. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that where I made fun of all the students for, and the trainers for about five, ten minutes on the last session of the year, just for a little bit of fun, because I was always seen 
serious guys that tells people off. Why are you late? You're five minutes late. You're taking the mic, you know, and have a go at people. So the last session session of the year, I'd always have a little bit of fun, and I'd have little words, and I'd basically take the mic out of everyone for five ten minutes. And uh, yeah, it was a nice way to end it, wasn't it? When you see me being serious all year round. Yeah, it was good times, man. It was really good times and a bit of comedy as well for everyone. So Absolutely. yeah, it's so good to, to catch up uh, and, and talk uh, about the old times, man. It's good reminiscing. Hopefully. And hopefully, like I said, see you back in the ring one day, one day. Hopefully one day very soon. <laughs> More than welcome, anytime. <laughs>